Welcome to the Med Faber Show, where the focus is on helping you grow and preserve your wealth. Join us as we discuss the craft of investing and uncover new and profitable ideas, all to help you grow wealthier and wiser. Better investing starts here. Matt Faber is the co-founder and chief investment officer at Cambria Investment Management. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Cambria's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Cambria Investment Management or its affiliates. For more information, visit cambriainvestments.com. Welcome, podcast listeners. Today, we're heading out to the ballpark. We're going to hear about one of my favorite startup company ideas. Our guest is co-founder and CEO of LeagueSide, a startup that connects brands to local communities and families involved in youth sports, making local sponsorship possible and scalable for both brands and youth sports leagues alike. In today's episode, we're talking about targeted local marketing through youth sports organizations. Look, this has been going on for a long time. Many have played on teams with sponsors like the local pizza joint. Our guest talks about evolving that model to offer automated execution through a tech platform that delivers sponsorship of local youth sports to regional and national brands. We discuss the aha moment that led to the founding of League Side and the evolution of the biz. We get into the impact coronavirus has had on the viability of youth sports leagues and some of the tactics they're using to navigate these difficult times from a business standpoint and to support youth sports. This episode is sponsored by our friends at YCharts. A typical day in the life of a financial advisor calls for back-to-back client meetings, juggling portfolio management, and the consistent desire to improve client relationships. YCharts report and proposal tools could be the missing piece to help you effectively handle these time-consuming tasks. Now more than ever, clients want to hear from their advisors, and with user-friendly templates at your disposal, generating impactful client reports can be easily integrated into your everyday routine helping you free up time and focus on what matters most, enhancing client interactions and growing AUM. Need to make a clear head-to-head comparison between a client's existing portfolio and your proposed one? Want a seamless way to educate your client and present market trends with minimal effort? Join thousands of users who rely on YCharts to easily answer those questions and much more by leveraging personalized proposal reports to truly showcase your value add. Click the link in the show notes to learn what others are saying about YCharts' comprehensive suite of reporting and proposal generation tools. Get 20% off your initial YCharts professional subscription when you start your free YCharts trial. Click the link in the show notes or tell them Meb sent you for new customers only. Please enjoy this episode with Leaked Sides founder, Evan Brandoff. Evan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Meb. Really excited to be here. So where's here? I'm live from Global Cambria Pandemic Headquarters in Manhattan Beach. The background, you get bonus points if you can guess where it is. It's a Colorado independent bookshop called The Tattered Cover. It once was the largest independent bookshop, I think, in the country. I don't know if it is anymore. Probably not. Where, where's home for you? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which they call the Manhattan Beach of the East Coast <laughs> as of just well. now. <laughs> I heard you say it's thunderstorm and raining there, which happens about once a year here, every leap year, maybe. I can't remember the last time we had a thunderstorm. I miss him. I don't know if my son's ever heard a thunderstorm. But the best part is you got a setup to where I don't even have to listen to you. I can just watch the market in the background. You got CNBC playing behind you. I can see we're having another up day. All right, Evan, tell me about you. What's your origin story? We're going to talk about league side here in a minute. You grew up in Philly. Where are you from? I'm from Long Island, New York, originally. Grew up there, unique family dynamic. My brothers are 15 and 17 years older than me. So they were mentors along with being big brothers. 
my oldest brother is a doctor. My middle brother is an entrepreneur and knew early on in my life that I wanted to take more of the entrepreneurial route. And after growing up on Long Island, the rebel child that went down to the University of Texas in Austin, after school, joined a fellowship program called Venture for America. If you're familiar with, if you've been followed Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang started Venture for America eight years ago. It's similar to Teach for America, but it's to create jobs and new economies. So after school, I lived in Detroit for two years, working for a financial media company called Benzinga, and used to love volunteering at youth sporting events. One weekend in particular, I was volunteering at a youth basketball tournament in inner city Detroit. Realized that there's no better way to engage with families in the community than through youth sports. And simultaneously, these youth sports leagues need sponsorships in order to stay in action. So a little bit of segue into league side. That's where we had this aha moment. What if we could build a network of all these community sports organizations across the country, connect them together and allow regional and national companies to effectively sponsor community youth sports leagues at scale? So you had the idea, started kicking around the head. What was sort of a timeline? What year was this? And was anyone else doing it? It feels like it's probably pretty patchwork, if I had to guess. What year did you start to get the idea? Graduated from the University of Texas in 2013. Started working on league side in 2015. The basketball tournament was January of 2015. And about six months later, we had moved to Philadelphia to go full time on league side. At the time, there was no company organizing youth sports leagues and connecting with regional national sponsors like we were using technology. That said, youth sports sponsorships is nothing novel. Everyone is familiar with their local pizzeria or local dentist sponsoring their local sports team. So it was an industry that has already been validated by thousands of local businesses sponsoring local sports leagues that we knew we could automate with technology and scale in order to help larger companies tap into this $18 billion marketplace. Okay, you had the idea, you had the, as most entrepreneurs say, didn't have the better sense not to do it. How'd you get started? Was this credit cards? You sell funds, you get some funding. What was the beginning when this would have been, you said 2015, 2016? The middle of 2015. So my co-founder Zubin and I were part of the Venture for America Fellowship Program we were fortunate to get invited to be part of the first accelerator program at a first-round capitals office in Philadelphia. So Zubin and I both had good jobs at the time. We had no validation of league side when we were invited to the accelerator. And we said, should we do it? You know what? Why not? So moved to Philly. We were put up for three months. Funny story. We were put up in a center city, Philadelphia, in a nice high-rise, which was... It's funny, they gave us somewhere nice to live. And then after three months, we had absolutely nothing. But five years later, I'm able to afford to now live in the building that they put us up in, <laughs> in the beginning. And for three months, they gave us office space in First Round Capital, introduced us to who ultimately our initial angel investors. And we acquired our, our first clients in Applebee's and Smoothie Kink during that accelerator program, which gave us the validation to keep going. Spent a lot of time at Applebee's in, in high school in North Carolina. What was the initial vision? It was like, all right, we're going to build this marketplace. How did you start to connect? Was it literally just phone calls, these companies? Walk me through the kind of the early days of just you, two of you guys and a website, essentially, right? Even pre-website in the very beginning. So we pretty early on were able to validate youth sports leagues all 
needed or wanted sponsorships. We validated this by talking to any and every youth sports organizer that we could. Fortunately, by 2015, most youth sports leagues already had websites, so we were able to find the contact information of the president or whoever it may be pretty easily and reach out to them. So what we needed to validate is would regional or national sponsors spend their marketing dollars on sponsoring community youth sports leagues? To your point, we just started hitting the phones, reaching out to contacts at companies that we thought at the time could benefit from sponsoring community youth sports leagues. And we're fortunate. I think our first deal was only $50, but we're fortunate to get validation by bringing on Applebee's and Smoothie King that this is something that regional and national companies find interesting. And that validation, we were able to leverage that initial validation to raise our first $125,000 seed round and continue building league side. Talk to me about who did, was the seed round just friends and family? Was this a venture first round who was involved? It was some friends and family, mostly. So part at the conclusion of the accelerator program, we had a shark tank where at UBS, UBS is a supporter of Venture for America. So we at UBS's headquarters in New York had a shark tank where three bankers were the sharks and there were a few hundred UBS employees in the audience. We got up there and we did our pitch and the winner was supposed to get $5,000 for the competition, if I'm remembering correctly. But one of the sharks liked Leakside so much that he invested $50,000 on the spot and someone in the audience added another $50,000. So we were able to raise $100,000 just from that Shark Tank event which we were then leveraged to grow a little bit larger. Ronnie Lott was one of our earliest investors, the NFL great. Yeah. It's an idea that, like so many wonderful ideas, it seems fairly obvious in retrospect that someone would build something like this. But also, there's a lot of blocking and tackling and just basics you got to do. Walk me through sort of how you went from Applebee's over the next couple of years with the tech and scaling it. How did the business start to grow after that funding? And did you just spend the $100,000 on league side Patagonia gear? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I wish. That is a good lesson to potential entrepreneurs out there. Invest in quality swag because then people wear it and use it. In the beginning, it took us a few years to finally invest in the quality Patagonias. But to answer your question and, and first taking a step back, what LeagueSide's platform, what our technology platform does is it automates the execution of a sponsorship for regional national companies. So let's take Chipotle as an example. Let's say Chipotle wants to sponsor a youth sports league within five miles of their 50 Chipotle stores in New Jersey. They're easily able to use the LeagueSide platform to see what leagues are available then seamlessly sends offer letters out to the leagues that qualify for the Chipotle sponsorship. And as leagues verify the sponsorship, those leagues unlock their sponsorship dollars and those verifications flow through the platform. So a representative from Chipotle is able to see their sponsorship in action and also see tangible results. So we've taken something that's historically been extremely local and grassroots and unmeasurable and have made it measurable and scalable. So to answer your question, 
the first thing we needed to do once we validated that regional and national companies would be interested in spending dollars on this is we needed to see what the success look like for these advertisers. How can we show them that this isn't just a novel concept for a one-time spend, but instead this should be a significant portion of their marketing budgets. So in the beginning, unsolicited advice for, for people that want to go into entrepreneurship is build as little as possible and just validate. Validate your concept and you could do it so much by hand. So our initial dashboards were Google Sheets and graphs that we would show our clients to simulate what the experience would be to see what they liked before we ended up actually building our platform later on. And so you started to get a little product market fit. What do you show the in brands? I feel like coming into this, most of the concept was almost like considering it to be almost not pro bono or charity sort of events from these brands like the pizzeria. 100% all of my teams growing up were sponsored by exactly what you're talking about. And the names of the team often carried through. They sponsored a team for 10 years and it just followed through. How do you demonstrate that to the brands? Any sort of metrics or benefits? It depends on the brand and what they're trying to achieve. But it's the combination of if there is a specific call to action, a specific sale or a store that they want to drive traffic to, or if there's a digital component of the campaign, we are able to measure success metrics in that way. But more importantly, we're surveying parents before and after each season to measure lifts and awareness, consideration, likeliness to choose. By sponsoring these youth sports leagues, what's incredible is you're not just acquiring customers in that short time horizon, but you are building, being part of these communities and building your client base that is going to last with you. People want to support companies that support them. And we have a lot of data that suggest that there's no better way to show the community that you're supporting them than helping them play sports, especially right now when 47% of youth sports leagues are at risk of going under because of COVID, which I think we'll get to later. And this is just an incredible way to build those community ties. Let's say I'm a business, either local or national. I'm listening to this podcast. I'm like, oh man, this is the coolest idea. Walk me through sort of the advertiser experience. They come to the site, what happens? And then give me a little insight to the extent you can on like, what does it cost to sponsor a baseball team for the year? Or I assume it's more than 50 bucks, but walk me through a little bit of the advertiser experience, just how it works in general. We found that our advertisers have enjoyed a concierge experience most. So what will happen is when you go to leagueside.com, you'll sign a contact us form. We'll reach out to you. You'll talk to someone on our team about what you're trying to achieve through sponsoring youth sports leagues. Are you looking to increase awareness? Are you looking to drive traffic to new stores that are opening? Whatever your goals might be, we have run a campaign to help you achieve those goals. And then we'll start helping you put together the right league side campaign. We're able to target sports leagues. It's typically comprised of leagues and to clarify what that means. Manhattan Beach Little League currently has 50 teams and 700 players in Manhattan Beach. And a sponsor will sponsor Manhattan Beach Little League. And as part of that sponsorship, you might get a few teams wearing their sponsored jerseys, signage at the field, emails to all of the parents. So exposure to the entire league. So 
specifically to answer your question, it'll, it's a concierge experience. A league's head representative will help you set up the campaign in order to reach the right families at the right leagues with the right content to help you achieve your sponsorship goals. And so let's say I do want to sponsor all the little leagues in Manhattan Beach. What would you guess in, if you know, that's fine, but the ballpark cost for something like that, is it $100, $1,000, $10,000, $100,000? What's the ballpark cost on these? Or does it vary just massively based on where you are and what the leagues are, et cetera? It's a dynamic pricing model, but on average, it's $1,500 to $7,500 per league that you're sponsoring based on the location, the size, and the sponsorship assets that you're getting. Does that include the actual physical names on jerseys and everything else, or is that in addition? That price point is inclusive of all of the sponsorship elements. And what our sponsors, the clients love, is that we're a complete turnkey, scalable model where we take care of a lot of the creative, we take care of all the execution, we take care of the activation, and we also take care of delivering the results. And to the extent you want to weave in any case studies, you're welcome to. But I'd be curious to hear, is anyone doing any combinations of real world sort of tie-ins? You mentioned the signage on the field or an email for anyone who's ever been to a minor league baseball game or even a pro game. The, hey, so-and-so hits a home run in the fifth inning, everyone gets a free taco sort of thing. Are there any case studies you can walk us through specifically to the listeners that may be scratching their heads thinking about sponsoring some teams? Because I think that's a pretty reasonable budget for many people. Any thoughts? Any ideas? Sure. And it's important to clarify that that $1,500 to $7,500 price point is per league. Campaigns in any particular area are typically starting at 10 leagues in any given market. A couple of case studies that come to mind. The statistic that I'm most proud of is that our net revenue retention is over 130%, meaning that sponsors are constantly spending more season over season with league side because of the effectiveness that they're seeing. And our retention during COVID has been 100%. Every single sponsor, even though businesses have been struggling, have stood by league side because they appreciate us as a partner. And they also see that as society returns to normalcy, there is nothing that is more important in connecting with communities and supporting youth sports. Speaking to specific case studies, a couple of recent ones that come to mind, we're very fortunate to work with Panda Express at hundreds of their store locations across the country. We do fundraiser nights with Panda Express and team dinners virtually over Zoom right now where all the team members will be, Panda Express, we do the same thing with Noodles & Co. and a few other of, of our QSR clients. And they're able to drive thousands of dollars per league each fundraiser night that they run. Another good example of recent success is we work with Academy Sports. Their awareness and consideration has increased drastically. The reason I'm hesitating to speak to specific percentages is because I'm not sure what has been delivered to the client yet. But during some of their, we've been able to achieve tens of thousands of dollars in revenue to Academy Sports stores through their league side campaign and running store days at their different Academy store locations. That's smart. The nice thing about your idea is it blends that sort of online and real world and the customization. I mean, A, everybody loves a good orange chicken. Who doesn't like Panda Express? But we were always, I remember Pizza Hut, Checkers, for anyone who's Checkers, those are our spots. 
All right. So talk to me a little bit about the evolution. What's the business model? I assume you guys just take is it a per advertiser fee? Is it percentage based on total spend? How's it work? Yeah, totally free for leagues to join our network and participate in sponsorships. We take a percentage of the dollars that flow through our platform from the advertisers. How does it look different today? Well, so pre-COVID, so December, how does it look different 2019 versus 2016? You mentioned Google Sheets. What was sort of the evolution over the past three years? I imagine the biggest struggle for you guys was just awareness in the beginning. I mean, getting a lot of the leagues and advertisers in the same place, or maybe not, correct me. Um, what's been the growth look like over the past three years? The past couple of years, we've doubled and more than doubled in growth, both consecutive years. The big changes from a sales perspective and client acquisition perspective is in, in the beginning, to your point, we had close to zero brand awareness which was challenging not only for acquiring sponsors, but also for acquiring leagues for a sponsorship. Because people, her offer was too good to be true. Like, wait a minute, you want to just give us sponsorship dollars? That can't be real. So the last few years, we've had to invest significantly in our brand equity, both in the youth sports community. So youth sports organizers knew who we were when we were contacting them. And it's now at the point where we have hundreds of sports leagues coming to our website to sign up to be part of our network each week. And we've been really fortunate that on the brand side of things, because of the success that we've had with companies including Comcast, Duncan, New York Life Insurance, Panda Express, McDonald's, Uber. Uber is a perfect example that we started with the rider side of the business, then expanded to the driver side of the business, and then expanded to Uber Eats. So because of success that we've had for different business segments, we've been able to grow internally. But back to your question, a big change has been, we've been really fortunate that because our partners have enjoyed working with us, which my biggest accomplishment I feel is the team that we built at Leagueside. I love our team. We've been getting a lot more business from, from introductions and referrals. How many folks y'all got now? About to be 25 people. We're hiring wow. for client success manager, if, if anyone knows anyone. That's awesome. I was just laughing, I was thinking in my head as you were talking about that between Uber Eats and then Pan Express. I said, you should get a dual marketing where you just deliver food at the end of the games. So much fun stuff you could do. All right. So a lot of my investors are cheap bastards. And I say that lovingly. We got a lot of value investors on the show. Without making any judgments about it, I imagine... There's probably different price points for different leagues and also around the country based on sponsorships. And I imagine, and I could be totally wrong about this, that Little League Baseball, are there areas where it's more expensive to sponsor? And are there inefficiencies? You see where I'm going with this. It's like, hey, I got a hundred grand or I'm a business. I got a million bucks, 10 million bucks. I want to do a nationwide, but I want to, I'm like Google, I want to optimize my dollars per head per person or whatever it may be. I wonder if there's certain sports or areas that would be more inefficient. Is that the right word or underrepresented? Any general thoughts? I imagine it's not that standard. Very unstandard, which has made it difficult. Often people ask, what's our barrier to entry? It's because it is so fragmented youth sports. And to your point, every sport, every town, every league runs completely differently. So building our technology platform to facilitate sponsorships with so many different community leagues 
has been our competitive moat and has continued to be our competitive moat. In terms of biggest bang for the buck, my recommendation would be talk to a league side representative because there 100% are different ways to optimize your campaign and, and make sure that you're reaching your exact target audience. Quickly, a few learnings that we've had are that a lot of our advertisers don't necessarily care about what sport they're reaching, but instead reaching the audience they want to reach. So a lot of the campaigns are sport agnostic and just making sure that we're helping them reach families in the exact zip codes and the exact age or socioeconomic or demographic categories that they're looking to reach. Additionally, something that we're trying to crack the code on is we want more kids to be able to participate in more competitive and travel sports. Those are expensive and it's also hard to continuously reach the same families week over week for a travel team or a travel organization versus a recreational sports team. So that's something that we're trying to figure out of how to give more kids the opportunity to play at a higher competitive level. There's another partnership with Uber in there somewhere where you set up not only the sponsorship, but the logistics of just shuttling these kids around. I go visit my brother. His daughters are playing in these travel softball teams. And I'd go visit. I say, look, I'm not going to even make any plans because I know that there's going to be 19 games over the next four days. So I'm just along for the ride. It's a full-time job just being in charge of moving them around. What sports do you guys cover? Are there a set amount? Or are there only two or three? Or is there like 30? You name the sport. And we've probably run a sponsorship campaign covering it. For example, a few years ago, Columbia Sportswear wanted to do fishing. So we found them some youth fishing tournaments. We actually hosted a youth fishing tournament. That said, our two main sports are soccer and baseball, followed by football, lacrosse, and basketball. So it's predominantly team sports that are outdoor, followed by basketball and volleyball has been growing a lot for us as well. Okay, so the business has been growing. It's gone from a two-person founders that was funded by Bootstrapped and Friends and Family and Ronnie to you eventually raised the VC round, right? One, two, many more. How'd you get to 2020? Yeah, so we've raised three rounds. We've always consciously wanted to raise as little capital as possible, and it's always when we've been profitable. So we've raised about $5 million in outside capital to date, but continuously want to have more of a bootstrap mentality and only raise additional capital when we are profitable and are using that capital strictly for growth and not for operational expenses. So, all right, you've been rocking and rolling 2018, 2019, things are going well. And then all of a sudden the decade ends, turn the page, 2020 hits. Walk us through kind of what the last six months have looked like for your company and how things have started to change. Then we'll walk forward what the future looks like too. When Kobe passed away a few months ago, I was already bummed and knew 2020 was going to be a bad year. Unfortunately, that was just the start of it. COVID has been absolutely devastating to youth sports. We surveyed our network of 10,000 community sports leagues and the data that came back is terrible. 47% of sports leagues are at risk of shutting down completely with under three months of runway as of six weeks ago, and they haven't been back in operation. Over 25% of youth sports parents are out of work and can't afford for their kids to play sports even if their local sports league does come back in operation. 
percent of kids are sitting at home right now doing absolutely nothing, not moving around, not interacting with other humans. So the physical and mental health implications that this will have on our youth, it could leave 20 million kids on the sidelines if we don't act quickly about changing path and helping youth sports programs and organizations return to normalcy. That gives me chills to hear. So we're recording this at the beginning of June. Have you started to see some green shoots? Have things started to open back up at all? Fortunately, yes. States that are reopening, youth sports is is soon to follow with reopening. So we're starting to see uh, a lot of youth sports organizations have social distance practicing. Games haven't been too much in effect yet. But we do believe that later this summer and in the fall, youth sports will knock on wood, be almost back to normal, which is just so great on so many levels. Uh, And it's an interesting world where youth sports might be the only gatherings in the community. It looks like pro sports, there won't be fans in 2020. Marathons are canceled. Fairs are canceled. So youth sports is not just great for bringing kids together, but it is going to be the holy grail for just bringing people together in the community uh, through the rest of 2020, which in a time like right now, when there is so much unrest in the community from injustice and also COVID to be building an organization that can create so much positive change, make people happy, bring people together, teach kids valuable lessons. It's been something that's really been driving me and the league side team through through such a difficult point in time. Yeah. Your company is obviously has negative impacts from all these, I assume, from all these sponsorships shutting down for half a year. How are you guys navigating? How are you surviving? What's going on at League Side HQ? It's been a very challenging yet rewarding few months. And what I mean by that is when there's no youth sports in action, our pre-existing business model yields zero dollars in revenue. But what has been incredible is that our team has been so incredible about figuring out new business lines that we have been able to shift our sponsors into that have been able to set them up for, for still to see marketing success that can be huge growth business segments for the future. A couple of those are, we've shifted a lot of campaigns to digital focus campaigns. These youth sports leagues and teams are still there, but they're at home. And we've been able to bring them together through meals or whatever it may be while they're stuck at home. In addition, organizations that have been hit extremely hard through COVID are big youth sports facilities. So these massive indoor facilities that have 25,000 plus square feet, multiple courts. They have no revenue coming in and they had slim margins as is. There is a tremendous opportunity to sponsor these indoor facilities, be a pillar in these communities, keep these businesses up and running. And we have had significant early validation and some good traction about connecting sponsors with sports facilities as well. So it's a tough time at league side, but validating and and have been able to focus on projects that we thought were going to be years away. Digital aspect is interesting. Hopefully everything returns to normal, but you mentioned there is probably a lot of ideas to brainstorm on there. What's the Athletes for Care partnership? We have started an initiative called Save Youth Sports. 
we need to help youth sports leagues stay in operation. We need to support youth sports families that can't afford for their kids to play sports. So in partnership with Athletes for Care, you could go visit saveyouthsports2020.com and donate to youth sports organizations and families in need. And additionally, some brand partners are going to be the headline sponsors of our Save Youth Sports initiative that's going to directly impact helping youth sports return to normalcy. And there's hopefully going to be a good announcement soon about our Save Youth Sports initiative of how we're going to use youth sports to bridge communities together and support a lot of youth sports leagues and predominantly black communities, how we could specifically not just support those and bring additional equity to these communities, but also how can we connect those youth sports leagues, the surrounding sports leagues, and bring kids of different races together and educate them about equity and social justice. Yeah, sports, such a great unifier and so many lessons learned growing up and playing sports. What was your main sport, Matt? I was a baseball guy, but I played everything, man. Football, soccer, basketball. But baseball was sort of, yeah, my true love. Coached a few teams very kind of pathetically. <laughs> through what was your position? Center field or outfield mostly. I mean, I could probably name many of the sponsors we had growing up still. And for many kids and even adults, Coaches and the impact of sports has such a lasting impact that I could probably name all my coaches from first grade all the way through high school and some better than others, of course, but such a defining education and experience for so many kids. And believe me, I have a three-year-old at home and also just running around, (laughs) just burning off all that energy. Everyone, I'm sure, misses it. So... Assuming the world hopefully starts to look a little bit more normal in the coming months, what's the future look like for you guys? As you look to the horizon, the obvious, I imagine, first goal is simply to scale and become the kind of the big brand and name in this space. But what else are you guys spending your time brainstorming about? What are you excited about in the coming years as well? The longer term picture, a good corollary is... Last year, Procter & Gamble shifted $150 million from digital advertising to physical advertisement opportunities. Because although digital advertising is measurable and scalable, it's not always that effective. A 0.001% click-through rate on a thousand different websites is measurable and it's scalable, but that's not necessarily going to drive that much traffic. And they found that advertising in real life, does yield tangible results. Yet that is still so fragmented and so difficult to do in any scalable way. So we built the Leaside platform specifically for youth sports, helping bridge sponsors, advertisers with a network of tens of thousands of community sports leagues across the country. But we're excited to take the platform that we've built and apply it to this any event, any opportunity where brands can engage with consumers in real life. So 5Ks, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, schools, church groups, all different gatherings where brands can engage with local communities scalably and measurably. 
It's so funny. It's so funny. I'm listening to you talk about this and I'll tell you two funny stories. One is we've been experimenting with digital ads over the past couple of years. And I laugh because you mentioned that it's extremely targeted. But even then, it's a little questionable on Google and Facebook and elsewhere, the amount that's actually legit and how much is fraudulent. And we have one ad we've been running and I don't know, a hundred responses to the ad, like half are K-pop GIFs or people taking it over and just talking about Korean dancing. And so very clearly there's an element of click fraud or whatever you may want to call it. But even funnier is podcast listeners probably never even heard this story, but over a decade ago, this is maybe 12 years ago, one of my many terrible side business ideas was kind of what you were talking about, this concept of real world advertising. And we had tried to start a business called T-shirt ads to where you could build a marketplace of people around the world and target it to a specific demographic or space or whatever and have them wear your T-shirts for whatever, a few days or just send them shirts. And so we did about five real world events. Obviously, my the better idea would have been to start Instagram. But this kind of concept of tying in the real world with online brands at scale Anyway, need to say it didn't really go anywhere, but we did do some fun events, but a lot of them were actually sports related where a brand would in like Missouri have people go to a minor league baseball game wearing 30 of the same shirts that whatever. Anyway, <laughs> so let's I love it. We're working on we were working on a video. We, we still haven't done it is a kid wakes up in the morning wearing their league side jersey. And there's a counter on the top corner of the screen that shows all the different impressions of the shirt throughout the day. Which would have been perfect for business. Well, <laughs> when uh, listeners, you want to buy the t-shirt ads domain, I think we still have it. Probably have a box of t-shirts from some of the campaigns. I can't even remember who did some of them. Anyway, that's funny. So you mentioned already that this has been a challenging time. So I'm not going to really ask you what's been your most challenging moment. But as you think about the past five, six years, four or five years of starting this company, What's been some of kind of the most rewarding, or you can answer challenging, I'm sure it's COVID, but what's been some of the bigger struggles, but also some of the more rewarding experiences you guys have had over the past four or five years? Something about building a company, especially starting to do it when you're 23 and know so little, is you experience such high highs and low lows. But a big challenge area, or two big challenge areas for me personally, one has been in the very beginning, it's very hard getting a company off the ground. But when you're only a couple of people, you know what you need to be doing. Because if you're not doing it, then your company won't be able to operate. So I knew I needed to call sports leagues or I knew I needed to call advertisers because if we weren't doing it, then we wouldn't be able to get advertisers. We wouldn't be able to get sports leagues. We wouldn't be able to grow our network. What has gotten more challenging over time is as we grow the team, how do I evolve as a CEO, as a leader, is instead of helping us get from zero to one, but instead getting us from one to many, and how do I enable the league side team to be as efficient and as effective as possible and add as much value to league side as humanly possible when I'm not necessarily the one calling sports leagues or calling advertisers. So figuring out how to do the things that I know that I don't know has been a huge challenge. And speaking to COVID and 
more recently, all the different protests and, and the killing of George Floyd, I think for a lot of listeners that have been home for the past few months, it's really hard to wake up and be motivated to go do your job, regardless of what you're doing. It's easy to feel small and so much uncertainty in the world and what the next few months are going to hold. And I've felt that a lot as well. Going back to what I was saying earlier, it's, it's just feel so lucky to be working on something that I do feel with all my heart youth sports can solve so many of the different challenges that are going on in this world. So even though COVID has halted youth sports and has been devastating to so many businesses, including ours in the short term, knowing that what we're doing could have such a bigger societal impact has been what's been able to push me through and push the team through and survive in advance and get through it to be able to continue growing when it's all over. Yeah, that's great. It's such an obvious social impact. So many corporations that are using pure charity dollars, this is one that kind of bridges the gap between both. It has social impact. It's also a very real positive benefit depending on the company and how they do it, run the campaign. We would love to do it at some point. So we'll start thinking about that, talk about that offline as well. We ask most of the investors on the show, what's been their most memorable investment? Have you been actively involved in investing over the years? Anything come to mind for you? So once I was so graciously invited to come onto the podcast, I opened up a Robinhood account and started... <laughs> making some trades. And I'm happy to say that in this past month, I'm looking right now, I'm up 22%. It's pretty hey, good, right? Man, you know, let's sell the company and become a hedge fund. There you go. 22% annualized is not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> you and Portnoy and Barstools, that seems to be everyone's pastime now that they're stuck at home. That's funny. And I could probably spend a whole nother hour just asking you, could you give me a quick 20 second lesson on how with unemployment rates so high and everything going on in the world, why is the market going up every day? And if you don't want to talk about that right now, I totally understand. There's the kind of simple takeaway and the longer one. The simple one is if you look at the history of the world over the past 120 years, it's nothing but consistent struggle world wars, pandemics, like this isn't the first rodeo with pandemic. There's one 100 years ago that was way worse, the Spanish flu. It's strife and the geopolitical news flow is almost always horrible. So to be an investor, my favorite investing book is actually called Triumph of the Optimists. So to be an investor, you have to be optimistic with a long time time horizon. If you do, over the past 120 years, you've been massively rewarded. And if you compound at 8 10%, for decades, anyone can become rich. The challenge is you got to leave it alone. The problem with the news flow is it's always terrible. So looking at the CNBC behind you, the biggest challenge of being an investor in companies is not mucking around with it, but rather buying and holding and putting away. That having been said, if you were to ask me specifically right now, the world is sort of bifurcated in the US. Many of the names tend to be more expensive than the rest of the world where many of the stock markets around the world are cheap to really, really cheap. And that plays out, though. The problem is not on the time horizon of days, weeks, months, quarters, or even years, but really decades. So most investors don't have the time horizon to just chill out and sit around. They want to see what happens today. But 
you can listen to 200 episodes of the podcast, listen to me blab at length about that. So we're here to talk about you guys. If people want to find out more of what you guys are doing, what you're up to, how do they go about it? If you're an advertiser, if you're a league listening to this, if you have a team, what's the best place? How do they find out more? Yeah, come to our website, leagueside.com. League, like sports league, L-E-A-G-U-E, side, S-I-D-E.com. And also check out what we're doing at saveyouthsports2020.com. We have been fortunate. We, over the past 12 months, have raised a few million dollars and contributed to youth sports leagues and the Save Youth Sports Initiative alone. So we raised tens of thousands of dollars. We, we just started it very recently. But July is Youth Sports Month in America, so we're going to have some exciting announcements along with Youth Sports Month. Can I answer your question about my stock picks that I'm most proud oh, of? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so short-term wins. Excuse my very untechnical vernacular. My two stock picks that I think I'm going to sell soon have done very well for me the past month. ERI, which is El Dorado Casino over 100%. And Peloton has not only been not big, but Peloton and Alibaba are two stocks that I am so... And again, I know nothing about the stock market, so you should not take this as advice or maybe take it as the opposite. But Peloton and Alibaba, I think that the whole ecosystem of working out has been flipped on its head and people enjoy working out at home because it's just more efficient. Very bullish on Peloton, Alibaba. I don't understand why Amazon is more than twice the market cap about Alibaba with so much room to grow. What do you think? I've been a Peloton convert. Jess and Olivia are my go-to instructors. Ali too. But my best suggestion would be for anyone listening to this is you take your Robinhood password, you change it, you forget it, put it away for 10, 20 years. And then eventually, it's we call it the coffee can portfolio where most investors, you buy something with the goal of almost never selling it. And to really compound the massive returns over the years, it takes that time. So to have what we call 10 baggers, where you make 10 times your money, or 100 baggers, you really need like a decade. So we'll check back in. We'll have you back on the show in 2030, once Leakside is public and IPO'd, and uh, we'll check in on your stock picks. By the way, a great domain. Did you guys have to buy that or was that just happened to be available? It happens to be available. That's crazy. I can't believe it. Awesome. Well, good for you guys. I feel like that would have been a six-figure domain cost. That means a lot that you like our name. I do. I love it. Well, <laughs> it's funny. The listeners have heard me drone on about this, but have invested in a lot of private companies and some require a lot of due diligence. Some have just been when they cross your desk, like the most obvious and great idea. I put you guys into that category, so no pressure. <laughs> so I'm cheering for you guys. Evan, it's been a blast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Matt. Really enjoyed it. Podcast listeners will post show notes to today's conversation at mebfaber.com forward slash podcast. If you love the show, if you hate it, shoot us feedback at the mebfabershow.com. We love to read the reviews. Please review us on iTunes and subscribe to the show. Anywhere good podcasts are found, my current favorite is Breaker. Thanks for listening, friends, and good investing. Good investing.